and welcome back to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheehan and I'm joined here by Kevin O'Carroll. Kev, very quiet in the podcast today. I know, it feels so so spacious here in the office, doesn't it? I don't like it, I don't like it. I'm, the only two things I have to listen to are you and my own thoughts. Ooh, and I was going to say 50% of that is awful, but realistically... <laughs> it's just a bombardment of awfulness. No, no, of course that's not true. Uh, Kev, usually, like, like, like always... Before we get on to the main event, uh, we're going to talk about um, what games we're playing. Can I go first? Do you mind? Absolutely. Crack on, son. This, I promise, this is the last time I'll... Uh... Talk about Tangarampa? Uh, it is, yeah. How did you know? <laughs> because it's consumed you, Liam. We're all worried about you. <laughs> it hasn't consumed me. Uh, although there was, what, what you call it, like the PlayStation wrapped, like the Spotify wrapped thing. Um we we're all sharing it with each other. It shows what games we played the most over 2022. And I got done bad by it because it clearly didn't show anything I was playing in Sweden while I was living there for 10 months. That would have been like Elden Ring and Bloodborne. That's what I was playing. But yeah, no, I had the shame of having Danganronpa 1 and 2 as my number one most played game and Danganronpa 3 as my third most played game. <laughs> but Kev, I finished it now. I finished the Danganronpa experience, the trilogy. So I will. I'll talk about it one more time because, you know, I have, you know, 50% love and 50% contempt for the for this series. But I like I played them all, so I clearly enjoy them. I find them, you know, sometimes, Kev, you just like, I love something like Resident Evil or Bloodborne when you're just like 100% engaged the whole time. Just you in the game, laser focused. But I like just chilling the fuck out sometimes as well. You know, we all do. Yeah, for sure. With games. And Danganronpa, I find just comfort, comforting and easy and cozy and very like anime dumb and i, I just like yeah. anime dumb sometimes and it's about teenagers um it's a murder mystery where you're all 16 teenagers trapped in a school or on an island perhaps in the second games um case and uh, you start getting picked off one by one you gotta solve solve silly murders kind of the reason why i wanted to bring it up this last time is um that last one came out in 2017 and I, I, in my head, I was like, is this like, like, they haven't made a new one since. Like, did it sell badly? Like, did, did the creator just not want to do any more? And now I know. I'm so impressed. I've never seen a series just scorch earth itself. Oh, yeah. With, it, with an ending. It's like, <laughs> wow, they're just doing it. The creator, the creator wanted to end this, and he wanted to end it hard. <laughs> <laughs> it gets meta. Remember last time when we were talking on the podcast and we were almost like making joking ops like oh it's about teenagers killing each other and like i don't know you've kind of taken the piss out of me a little bit yeah the game took the piss out of me as well <laughs> <laughs> it gets very very meta and very meta very strange and the whole thing like the series as a whole is not executed very well in the ending but i was entertained i went online afterwards and i was like what do fans think about the way this series ends and like half of them fucking hate it and half of them just pretend it didn't happen okay <laughs> to be honest but i was sitting there going this is wild this is nonsense it, it it gets meta and in the same breath makes fun of you the player for not liking the fact that it's meta it's great <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's great like it's it's, it's not great <laughs> yeah but, so, so so now that you've gotten through the trilogy and i believe yeah. watched one of the offshoots on a uh, let's play yeah 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 can you in good conscience recommend that another human being should play them no <laughs> okay yeah because there's so many other things to do and i'm not even talking about video games kev take a walk in the park with your loved one <laughs> write a novel life's too <laughs> life's too short for dangarampa but i'm a fan i like him and and the only re- honestly the only reason I brought it off is because you know I wanted to kind of admit I like him I like when when we're talking about the main event games today I kind of have to admit you know sometimes aesthetically I might not like something ju- sorry just because of the aesthetics of a thing you know <clears throat> judge a book by its cover so I just kind of have to admit you know Dangarampa poorly executed in a lot of ways but I'm just kind of a sucker for dumb anime fun sometimes and it's very rare to play games that are this character driven. Whether you whether or not you like the characters or not is a whole different story. But credit where credit's due, this these the games live and die under cast of characters, and that's just kind of charming to me, you know. Uh, the third the third one had my favorite character in the whole franchise. So um, and one of my favorite murder mysteries, Kev. Uh, someone got killed by an industrial side sized presser, okay, like a kind of a crusher, and two people went missing. So you didn't even know which corpse was under the presser. 
so I thought uh, like which very character spicy. Uh, very spicy and then you get to the class trial and yeah you the bad mechanics the bad mini game <laughs> shit so in the second game there's a there's a, I, I think I mentioned it before there's sometimes it goes into your main character's head and you're like it's like SSX tricky and you're skateboarding down this thing and you have to go in certain tunnels to represent different ideas in the murder case like go go through the left tunnel to say to have the character think he did it with a knife go through the right tunnel to go like he didn't have a knife it's crap waste of time a few hours into the third game and i was just like well you know what they've this is still all the same problems remain but they've refined this down some of the worst mini games are gone and then boom new tutorial comes up it's time to explain to you about the psych taxi and i was like what the hell is that and then what it turns out is it's similar to the fucking SX tricky thing, but this time you're in a taxi and you're driving down collecting letters, right? To form a sentence, form a question. Like, did he kill him with the knife? And then, a shit you not, you have to drive into escorts, as in like hookers, that <laughs> represent the information. So no, I would not recommend Dangaran for the people. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But I like it. <laughs> and I'm done with it now. Uh, next chapter of my life. Uh, what are okay. you playing? Um, so somehow I'm still playing God of War. Yeah, I, feel, I, yeah well, I, I expected that. I feel like this game maybe it doesn't actually have an end. I feel like maybe like like Sony Santa Monica are still crunching and like secretly adding more content every day. Is it big? Like downloading patches. It's fucking huge. I got to a bit where it, the game does the usual thing where it's like, we have to go meet blah, 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 and who do who. Um, if you have anything to take care of, make sure you do it now. And I was like, okay, getting ready, going into the end game. That makes sense. So kind of went around, did a few side questy bits. Then I was like, okay, I'm ready. Time to do this. Went to do what I thought was going to be the end of the game. Played through like about two hours of, of cinematic mission as plot progressed and stuff. And then it just opened up again. And I was like, here's a brand new area that oh, is wow. big, that is bigger than most other video games that is entirely optional and is full oh. of side content. And like, is it, were, you ha- were, you happy, were you happy to see this? Or were you kind of like, ah, now? Mixed. Mixed bag, to be honest. Um, mm. I was, I, I had kind of gotten myself into a place where I was ready to like, just strap into the roller coaster and finish out the story and it opening back up was starting to give me that fucking that that open world bloat itch all over again um i have cooled on the game slightly in general mm. playing it i still think that it is a very very good video game but it is a very very good video game that i maybe don't love oh wow wasn't expecting this yeah my eyebrows are right up atop my forehead right now yeah, you can pull them back down a little bit. It's not that dramatic. Um, it is, I cannot stress enough, it's a very well-made, very, very good video game. I just don't have the level of affection for it that I did for the first one. Oh, wild. I couldn't stop my eyebrows from going up again. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure, listen, I'm sure when, after Christmas, um, we will more than likely probably dedicate a full episode to it. Um, I assume yeah, yeah, the, the other I, two lads are playing or have played it too. Owen doesn't care about God of War, man. It's a really? really weird. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit. It's like it's like almost like really impressive because it's so popular. He yeah, fuck. Care. But I think you know, probably the episode after this one. I think we're going to do a kind of a 2022 episode, mm-hmm. and we can talk about it then as well because I'm sure I'll have played it by then. Yeah, for sure. And we can compare it to the other one, you know, Elden Ring. So are you like just a little tease that you think? Have the two two Elden Ring big... is a game of the year. Elden Ring is yeah, okay. the best game of the year by far. Anyone who says anything different hasn't either hasn't played it or is is a dumb person. Is, is oh a, my god! Dumb, dumb. No, I'm, no, I'm obviously taking the piss. Um, I can completely understand why people would bounce off Elden Ring. It is huge and inscrutable, um, <laughs> and has massive pacing and difficulty spike issues, particularly in the the back third. Um, but it is definitely my game of the year. Um, mm. God of War would make my top five, mm. but it's not even necessarily number two. That's bamboozled me now. It's really good, no. though. You're going to like it. It's just not. It's really good. Don't worry about it. I'm not worried. I'm just bamboozled. It's a different emotion. Okay. Will we move on to the main episode? Absolutely. This is what I would refer to as the third. I don't know. Are we in an era of contemplative? Hey, look, listen. Hmm. But rather than going in with a, a, a rigid subject matter, we're we're posing questions almost <laughs> to each to each other. We're kind of uh, coming up with a 
uh, our own games based off of things. And Kev, I'm, what I'm leading to is, can you explain the premise this time? Because I'm not 100% sure what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think the, the premise this time is sort of um, games that have sort of defied our expectations. I like that, yeah. So yeah. we're maybe, okay. we're looking at games that we would have gone into thinking this is right up my alley and have been quickly disabused of that notion or alternatively games that we thought we would have absolutely no interest in and have found out that ah, actually maybe there's something here. Yeah, so yeah, I'd, I'd say it, it, it's games that um, that maybe aren't what we expected them to be. I can't wait till I have to name this episode. I still don't know what I'm going to call it. <laughs> But yeah. how about we start with you? And do you want to start with the negative Nancy one or do you want to start with the more positive one? Do you want to start with the game that you thought you'd love but you just couldn't get into or vice versa? Let's get the negative out of the way. I think we've we've yeah, we've had yeah, yeah. a lot of negativity on recent episodes about my things. My choice for this, you're still going first, but my choice for this kind of <laughs> fits <laughs> this topic, by the way. I kind of played fast and loose. I kind of like took this, this this episode to go actually I, I can kind of finagle this and be able to talk about two games that i really want to talk about on the podcast get those you know off scratch off the list how well they represent the topic of the episode you know <laughs> we'll find out as i ramble but you yeah. know go for a sec Kev, go for a sec. i've been wondering why you, you've been on camera oiling up that shoehorn for the last five minutes <laughs> <laughs> let's go with your one i'll i'll, I'll, yeah. I'll take your lead then <laughs> so the the game that i had chosen as one that maybe I had expected to love and maybe didn't mm-hmm. is uh, 2020's Ghost Runner. Now, I don't know, have you played this? Are you familiar with this one? No, not okay. I'm, I'm blind here now. So Ghost Runner is a like first-person sort of um, cyberpunk-themed parkour-type thing where you play as this sort of cyber ninja with a katana and you're running through these sort of free running areas and it's all very fast paced it's all one hit kills um if you get hit you respawn straight away you kind of try to make your way through these areas cutting down enemies progressing it's kind of like super hot without the slow motion mechanic sure if that makes sense yeah sure um and when i saw the trailers for it straight away i was like this is going to be my jam so like like i said gameplay wise it's got that sort of first person one hit kill sort of the, the the action is the puzzle setup that i loved from super hot it has that quick reload mechanic that uh, we've spoken about before on the podcast as being just excellent big shout out to celeste on that one because um, mm. i think it has been about a month since we pointed out that celeste might be one of the best video games ever made so i thought yeah. we'd get that in so like from the the, the trailers in the lead up to its release it just looked like super hot on fast forward and i was like yeah i'm gonna meet this and then there's the theming which as i said is like this cyberpunk dystopia and i'm a sucker for a cyberpunk dystopia i own literally one movie on blu-ray and it's blade runner 2049 <laughs> um i am a staunch defender of cyberpunk 2077 actually before we started recording today I was extolling the virtues of Cyberpunk Edge Runners. I fucking love Cyberpunk as a theming. Yeah. So when yeah. I saw when I saw this game that is like reminded me of Superhot, which I fucking love, is sort of very Cyberpunk in its theming, which I fucking love. I was like, yeah, this is gonna work for me. I was kind of quietly confident that I'd love it. And then our mutual friend, um, Bud, I feel confident in naming him because there's absolutely no chance he listens to us. Um <laughs> <laughs> he he recommended it as well, and I'd um I think uh, my taste in games would align quite a bit with Bud, especially when it comes to sort of action-y stuff. I think maybe I'm into more talky stuff than he is. But with the action stuff, we'd have a lot in common, particularly with like soul stuff and things. So he recommended it. I love the theming. I love the trailers. Uh, Saw the reviews came out and it was really solid across the board. And I was like, do you know what? Came out at the end of 2020. I knew I was getting the PS5 because I managed to get one secured at launch. I was like, I will wait for the next gen release for this. Because it looks beautiful and it's only going to look better on the PS5. So I waited and then it came out and I bought it and I kind of wasn't in the right mind frame to play it at the time. So it kind of sat in the backlog for a while. And then one day I was sitting there going, I'd like to pay something, you know, immediate, something action-y. I'll fucking, I'll play um, Ghost Runner. I forgot the name of it there for a second. That's not great. (laughs) (laughs) 
that kind of leads into where I'm going with this because I fucking hated it. I oh, hated it. Oh, you're going this harsh because so my harsh. one, yeah. my one, I'm not going this harsh at all. I played for about 20 minutes, and I think it's fair to say that I hated every second of it from Why? the very start. Just the 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 sort of the plot and the framing just fell flat for me straight away. The controls just didn't work in my stupid fat sweaty hands <laughs> um, the pacing of the game the thing that kind of lured me in this idea of super hot but fast forward was just way too much i was just not keeping up even in the tutorial sections i was just bad at it i just didn't gel with it at all and i tried to power through for like i said for about 20 minutes and i was just like this has to be a me problem like this has to be a good game and i'm not in the right place for it so i stopped and i gave it a few days and i came back and i played the second time and i hated it even more mm. i found like pretty much nothing about the game that i liked i i don't know if i've bounced off a game ever as hard as i did off this and again just to reiterate got solid reviews across the board kind of high 70s low 80s on metacritic it's on every platform under the sun and has reviewed well on all of them except maybe the switch i think the switchboard is kind of a bit janky mm-hmm. um it got a uh, a plot dlc that was well received there's a sequel in the works like plenty of people really like this game plenty of people are getting out of it what i thought i would get out of it and for some petty reason that makes me dislike it even more i i i i abide by that pettiness yeah and i mean like saying this out loud it like it is absolutely a me problem. I get that. And like, there's a chance that if I went downstairs now and turned it on in a different mind frame, I might just click with it and fucking love it. But I literally never will try because I've decided that I hate it. <laughs> but can I ask if you were kind of watching it from a distance? That was a creepy way to say that. Sorry. <laughs> no, but if you were like looking at trailers and stuff like that, uh, how could you have liked the look of it so much in comparison to like hating it when you got it in your hands, you know, could you not see that it could be something you wouldn't like just by watching it? No, no, because I thought I would be good at it, and I wasn't. <laughs> Sometimes games take time if they're if they're if challenge yeah. and difficulty is a, is a factor. You know, you got to give yourself time. You weren't great at, at Dark Souls the first time you played it, probably. Excuse your fucking mouth. Of course, I was. You were immediately good at Dark Souls the first yeah. time you picked it up. Naturally, yeah. I don't think so, man. I think you got killed by the Taurus demon. <laughs> I remember his oh, name. Fuck you. Reference. Killed by the Taurus demon. <laughs> uh, oh, wait. No, no, I definitely did get killed by the Taurus yeah. demon. I thought, I thought you meant a silent demon. No, Taurus demon. Yeah. The, the trick is you have to climb the guard tower behind you when you go in. You get the plunging attack on his head. Fucking hell. Damn right. You preach to the choir, man. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm fully aware that it's a me problem. But I've kind of maneuvered myself into disliking the game now. To the point yeah. where I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to walk that back. Which is a shame. Because as I said, so many people have really enjoyed it. Um, and like, I recommend you try it. because I, I don't know if I can now. Well, just... I'd, just, I'd just be interested in getting a second opinion on it. Well, I suppose third opinion. Well, Buzz doesn't count. <laughs> Again, very secure in the knowledge that he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> and if he did, would he be furious? Like, is, this, <laughs> is, is this a game to be defended? I I don't know. I think maybe it might be. Mm. Is, I haven't even heard of this one, man. So really? I, I I can't be shocked or anything. I, yeah. Oh yeah, completely passed me by. Unless I see it, maybe, and I'm like, oh yeah, that. Yeah, it sounds me, cool. It definitely sounds really cool. Look it up afterwards. It does. It looks really cool. Um, and it's dog shit. It's not dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's a me problem. But I do hate it. So how oh. about you? Um, what was the the game that you um, maybe bounced off? I'm going in a different direction than you. I'm talking about what I would consider a certified um, cult classic. Okay. But um, do you know that thing where like, it's almost kind of similar to what you said there actually, but um, the main difference is I actually really like this game. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Give me a moment. I can, I can spend this. I can, okay. <laughs> I can spend this. Do you know when there's a game or anything, man, anything, a book, a film, whatever, and it's just like, this is my jam. This is like designed with me in mind. Uh, this game came out in around 2007. And I was just like, this is this is Liam's game. This was made for me. So I've often, for the years, I've grappled with the fact that I never quite loved it. That's the kind of level I'm bringing in mind. That's the level of intensity okay. I'm bringing with my game. 
I think it's a genuine classic. I actually think it's genuinely brilliant, but I not so much bounced off it. I've never been able to finish it. And I've tried about three or four times since it came out in 2007. Okay. I've never gone kind of got past the two thirds mark with it. And like I said, this came out when I was about 17, 18, that was still kind of prime time where I, I, I would build a lot of my sense of self <laughs> around the pop culture that I liked. So it felt so weird that this game, which is like the perfect Liam game. And I, anyway, when I'm dancing around it, it, the game is Okami. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okami, which is an absolutely stunningly beautiful game. Now I, you know, I, I am a, a big legend of Zelda fan. Kevin. Mm-hmm. And if you ever like, get really into Zelda and become a Zelda fan, or you're inevitably going to take to the internet and be all like, how do I scratch this itch? I've played all the damn Zelda games. And I would say with confidence, any lists you see online of games like Zelda will always have Okami as the number one recommendation. 100%, yeah. It's, it, came out at, it came out the same year as The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. So it came out the same year as like the Nintendo Wii. And by the time Twilight, Twilight Princess, by the way, is I, it's not like my favorite Zelda game, but I, I love that game. I've played it mm. 10 times or more. I think it's fantastic. But when Twilight Princess came out, I was approaching, you know, 10 years of my Zelda career. Yeah. <laughs> I played like all the games that had come out in those 10 years and I'd gone back and played like ones that I'd missed, like A Link to the Past and the Super Nintendo. Twilight Princess was the beginning of me and Zelda with the thought, I'm kind of seeing the same thing here repeated, you know? As good as Twilight Princess is, I've seen this before. It has, it has some cool new ideas, but this is this is this is starting to kind of you know be familiar. And the ten years between Twilight, Twilight Princess and Breath of the Wild in two thousand and seventeen, that that thought kind of defines um, that era of Zelda for me, where I'm kind of like, yeah, you're you're changing things up, but like baby steps. I'm seeing a lot of familiar stuff, you know, Skyward Sword. A Link Between Worlds, not just quite changing enough until Breath of the Wild did its yep. thing. Which is why the fact that Okami came out the same year that I was starting to think, hmm, Zelda kind of does the same thing sometimes, doesn't it? Kind of bolsters the fact that I'm, I always like felt guilty for not loving this thing. That here, like, I have the complaint of like, oh, Twilight Princess, oh, yeah, yeah, fucking Ganondorf turns out to be the villain again, very familiar. Oh, you go to Forest Dungeon, Fire Dungeon, and Water Dungeon at the beginning, I'm like, see, and then on the other side of the coin, here's this absolutely beautiful cel-shaded Zelda-like game where you play as a, 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 a goddess of the sun who's manifested as a wolf, and the whole thing looks like a living painting. It's, it's beautiful cel-shaded graphics, and it's just ripe with creativity the combat style is you actually use a a tool called the celestial paintbrush and when you're fighting enemies you pause the action and you literally draw symbols like if you draw a circle with like a little tick on top of it you manifest a bomb that comes out if you draw like lines you can do slashes against the enemy it's literally just like loaded with creativity and i replayed the last time i replayed this was uh pandemic the old 2020 Mm -hmm. you know i got it on the nintendo switch and it would have been like attempt four. I was like, this is the time I'm finally going to complete Okami. I'm going to like, you know, undo that wrong from my youth. Because genuinely, I'm not even being hyperbolic or like um, exaggerating for comedic effect. I was genuinely guilty, man, that like I quit Okami, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I was like, I'm going to play it. And I did the same thing. I quit at about the two third marks again. And But main difference in my kind of more exalted, mature adult state is that I finally said to myself, it's not me. <laughs> it's the game. <laughs> it's the game. It's badly paced. It's a bit too long. It has a wealth of ideas, but not a wealth of ideas to carry it over such a large playtime. You know, there's Zelda-type dungeons in it, but they're not very good. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah. That kind of stuff. And... I will I will balance it with like a, a wealth of compliments because even all the, this game came out in 2007. And uh, another reason why I felt guilty for not like, you know, loving Okami is because me in the 2000s, like if you, <laughs> if you knew me, I was the kid shitting on about cell shade graphics and how it's like, oh, these games will age, man. You like you like Elder Scrolls Oblivion? It'll age. Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, Killer 7. 
Okami, you know, they stylize cartoon graphics, and and I'm correct. Yeah, Okami, I mean, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, and I was correct. Okami, decade, you're not wrong. <laughs> oh, that's the story of my life. Uh, Okami is beautiful to this day. It is. I, I literally had moments when I was playing it on the Switch, and playing it on either handheld or full screen, where I was like, "This game is absolutely stunning." You can pause this game and take a photo at any moment, and it looks like a painting. And they use like like the, I think. The whole aesthetic, the whole style of the game came from kind of um, a budgetary thing. You know, they had to make kind of concessions. And so you have like assets in the world, like breakable pots and barrels and flowers that are flat 2D sprites in the 3D world. But that works. Do you know, it, it's a whole part of the aesthetic. Like I, I, I would recommend like people like looking up videos of this game. It's as stunning now as, as it was like in 2007. But... Yeah, despite how beautiful it is, it's just so badly paced. It has my least favorite opening. It has about a 25-minute opening that you can't skip. Okay. So I've replayed this game four times, and each time I watch that opening, I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh God, I have, to do, I have to do this again. Is it 25 minutes of cutscenes, or is it like a traditional Zelda game that's just very slow start? Oh, no, I'm talking 25 minutes before you can move your cartoon wolf with the analog stick. Jesus, okay. It's, it's cutscenes and, and dialogue. And it's, then when you start moving, and then when you start moving your character in Wolf, it's absolutely joyous. Like, like I said, I, I, the character's name was Amaterasu, and it's just a very atypical protagonist for a game. You know, it's it's it's. I I, I do feel kind of bad for Okami that they released their strange Wolf game in the same year that the boys over at Zelda were kind of like Link can turn into a wolf in this one. Yeah, I always kind of felt bad for them <laughs> in that regard because it should have been this completely unique thing. Uh, you have a kind of a companion in it called uh, Isun, which is kind of like your Navi or your Midna, you know, the kind of, because Amaterasu is a wolf and she can't talk. So the this Isun, he, he does all the talking. He's a little bug who's also a painter. And yeah, replaying in 2020, like Isun is shit. I hate him. He's, his character is that he's horny. That's, that's, all, oh. that's all it is. And you know what? I'm not even against horny being a main character trait. But what often happens with Japanese characters when they do this as they just come across those misogynist sex pests. Yeah. And I've said this after I've played three Danganronpa games, like, you know, but uh, yeah. And I just like stuff like that. And I started to see the cracks this time. And I think the game deserves to be celebrated. It deserves to be remembered. If people are going for like underrated games from that era, it came out in the PlayStation two, but I believe if you talk to someone, uh, it was the re-release on the Wii which was the kind of ideal way yeah. to play this game, which I'll admit I never did. Because like I said earlier on, that celestial br- brush mechanic where you're drawing symbols, apparently that was like a match made in heaven for like the, the pointer, the Wii, the Wii remote. Yeah, I had always thought that it was a Wii game originally. That's interesting. Yeah, no, it was PlayStation 2 first. Um, yeah, and it got a spiritual successor on the DS of all things. That that probably, that's the perfect console for that as well with the stylus and the drawing, which I've never played. So there is a kind of a, a perhaps a thought that, you know, if I played it on a different console, you know, maybe I would have finished it. But this is kind of, um, I'm put, kind of putting the, these emotions to rest with this one. Like to reiterate, it deserves to be celebrated. It is an underrated game from that era. It is kind of, a cla- it, it deserves to be a cult classic. I very much have its back, yeah. but it's also perfect for this topic because I finally admitting to myself, you know, that I'm not a huge Okami fan. I yeah. admire it. I love about I love playing it for about two thirds until I just have to put it down. But um, I think it has issues that are kind of not talked about because 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 you know what it's a game that just it's hard to say bad things about because like you almost feel like you have to love it because it's it's kind of pushing the medium not pushing the medium forward but being just a, a perfect kind of example of an art piece that can be made with the medium of games but yeah. if you actually go down to the nitty-gritty of that it's you know I, you know it doesn't all come together as a perfect little art piece but yeah and that that's it i, I don't hate it like i hate your game <laughs> sorry no like you hate your game <laughs> sorry yeah yeah i, I haven't uh, i haven't played okami it's kind of been on my to-do list for a while um, i do recommend it unlike yeah. don garampa i do wholeheartedly recommend it and i'd love to like see what would you think about it and especially like for in, from my point of view, if you are looking for a non-Zelda, Zelda-type game, it is probably the best place you can go. It's the best one I've found. Um, and I've found some good ones over the years, but it like, but I'm finally, I'm, you know, I'm finally able to admit 
Twilight Princess. That was the better game that came out in 2007 because that was a kind of a, a fierce debate in tiny niche nerd circles, not anywhere mainstream yeah, <laughs> in I th- 2007. I think, I think with Zelda games, they kind of, particularly Zelda games of that era or up to that point, they kind of live and die by their dungeons, really, don't they? It's a, definitely a big part of it, for me and, anyway, yeah. Tw- Twilight Princess, like, it has a very slow start. It has some sort of uninspired boss fights scattered throughout it. But the dungeon design is really solid. Absolutely amazing. And you have, you have nothing as close to the quality of, like, the dungeons Twilight Princess and Okami. I'm not, I'm not even sure Okami is striving to have kind of um, big puzzle areas, you know, that you, that you navigate. But it definitely does have dungeons. It does... It does separate its kind of gameplay into the overworld and to dungeons and yeah you kind of if if you're a zelda fan playing okami you it very much stands out that this is kind of uninspired in comparison to you like your your average little zelda it seems sacrilegious to insult okami it's a it's a bona fide classic but there you go i finally put it out there via via my podcast hey look listen yeah and listen it's okay it's okay that you don't love it. <laughs> is it it is is it i promise do i not have to love Japanese niche nerdy games. Can, oh, I, can I admit sometimes that they're not like sometimes they don't all work for me? Yeah, I, I think contractually it's only the ones where teenagers die that you have to like. <laughs> I don't even like that fucking psych taxi. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, we move on. We're doing the opposite now, right? Explain it to me like I'm a baby. Watch this now. So this is games that we. <laughs> probably thought we weren't going to like and then for whatever reason ended up trying them and we're like yeah, yeah, yeah. oh shit there's I something got, to I, this my game my game perfectly fits this i, I did it i figured it i figured <laughs> out the topic before we started recording yeah. you chose this topic <laughs> jonathan marcy chose this topic he came up with it he came up yes am i correct I think he came so. up with it and then he wasn't able to record because he's flying home for christmas and so we were kind of left no, I know. I think this is a great topic, but I was, conf- I genuinely was confused before we started recording. I was like unsure. It's okay. We'll muddle through. It's fine. Okay. Um, so yeah, the the game that I've chosen for this um, is actually one that I am playing a little bit currently. Um, oh. Um, it is Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Gotcha. I'm hearing like really good things about this, and yeah. can I? I'm not. I'm not stealing your thunder end like that. And I want to hear what you have to say. I don't like that IP and it takes a lot for me to kind of, you know, to, to, it would take a lot for me to play a Borderlands game. I've bounced off the first Borderlands hard back yep. in the day, hard. Yeah. And that is exactly how I felt about the franchise up until oh. about like a week ago. Interesting. Um, like I was never into not just Borderlands, but any kind of those looter games. Like uh, I know yeah. some people who were mad into Diablo. Yeah. Um, never never got me i played a bit of destiny very briefly um but luckily steered away from that shit um so like the looter shooters or looter games in general have never really been my genre or my style my history with gearbox is very straightforward i have never played a single second of any of their games ever um my like my only interaction with them really was I saw some reviews when Borderlands 3 came out and thought that it looked absolute dog shit. That um, one looked really, really irritating. Actually. Yeah, that's the one with the, 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 like, the influencer bad guys. Ugh. Yes. Oh, awful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that I knew about the franchise really was that apparently Borderlands 2 and Tales from the Borderlands are apparently quite good. Well, I love the look of the world of Borderlands. Yeah. See. I, I love, like, I, I just went on about associated graphics there. I think they've always looked completely like striking and kind of great and I, and kind of very comic booky. Uh, it's just actually playing the act of playing Borderlands one because I purchased Borderlands one with human mm. money back in the day, and oh, I just yeah, you're just like uh, yeah, lo- looters, Kev. There's just not my thing. Yeah, if you were to design a game that's like the complete opposite of what I want to play, it would be Bungie's Destiny. Yeah, and I'm I'm not even like shitting on it. It's just like it's the complete opposite of what I want as an experience in gaming. Yeah, absolutely, and that was kind of how I had felt about them in general. The um, the only sort of upside or positive feeling that I had towards them is that I found out that um, Anthony Birch uh, was like lead writer on Borderlands Two and the oh, yeah. the pre sequel, 
and he wrote on the Tales from the Borderlands as well. And I think I love that guy. I think he's great. Um, so that was about the only sort of positive feeling I had towards the franchise. Um, more on the Birch family later, but um, but other than that, yeah, I put the sort of the Borderlands franchise into the. Um, I get that people like it, but there's nothing there for me. Bucket. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'd be kind of contemptuous, but I actually don't have any contempt for it. Just not for me, but I get I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, so exactly. I put it into the, the not for me bucket along with things like Dynasty Warrior games and Love Island. <laughs> you know, I get that there is an appeal there. They're not for me. Um, oh, actually, I do know one other thing about Gearbox games. I don't know if you've heard this. This is from a couple of years ago. Do you know the former CEO of Gearbox games, a guy called Randy Pitchford? Yeah, yeah, I know the name. Yep. What yeah. am I forgetting? Did you ever hear about how he got himself in trouble because he left a USB stick full of porn at a Medieval Times restaurant? Oh my God, that, that sentence just kept getting better as it went yeah. on. Yeah, it, there's no downside to that. It's just amazing. <laughs> now, apparently, he is an absolute dickhead as well. Like He, he right. physically assaulted a vice president at the company and oh, threat, threatened some people and uh, refused that to pay for his Yeah, 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 no, yeah not yeah. a good dude. And I say he's the former CEO of Gearbox. Not that he lost his job with Gearbox, but he he moved to be like the head of their movie division instead. Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, sh- he, shuffle him away, is it? Sweep him away. Yeah, yeah. So he's 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 the worst. But um, yeah, a USB stick full of porn at a medieval times. Fantastic. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So when Tiny Tina's was announced, I was kind of like, oh, D and D themed this time. That's cool. Mm. And then just forgot about it and went on with my life um and then it launched and i noticed like the reviews around launch were like kind of cautiously optimistic cautiously positive and then some friends here played it and they again were like cautiously positive about it and now it is my turn to be cautiously positive about tiny tina's wonderlands because it's kind of really good mm. but it's also kind of pretty bad but it is good but bits of it are really bad but it okay. is good. Are you convincing me or are you? I'm not sure. Let's see how this mm. goes. Um, <laughs> so basically, I've been playing it um, like split-screen local co-op with, uh, with my partner, Sarah, because uh, we finished It Takes Two, which we had played over the course of like a year plus mm-hmm. as kind of, we have an hour to kill in an evening and can't think of anything else. Let's play on, let's throw on a co-op video game and play for a little bit and then just let it go for a while. And yeah. my idea was that the next one we should play was Portal, which uh, Sarah quickly ruled out, having been traumatized by playing it with her sister previously. So, <laughs> because some friends had recommended um, Tiny Tina's and they had also played it uh, split screen co-op. I was like, yeah, fuck it, let's give it a go. And as a co-op experience, it's kind of great. Like, mm. it really works. The gunplay is really fun. I think that the, the idea of the looter shooter game where you get sort of these procedurally generated guns every time you open a chest or, or kill a big bad guy or whatever. I kind of get the appeal of it now, not in a sort of a destiny sense where you're like trying to roll the dice to draw out a, a legendary weapon that has like 200% extra damage against potato type enemies or whatever. Um, in Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, like the, the procedurally generated weapons are just daft like I have a crossbow with a sniper scope attached that fires out bladed discs that bounce and explode. And the all fire mode is just a rocket launcher. It's all just strapped onto this crossbow. It's just silly and it's fun. Mm. And the gunplay feels good to play. Um, and like the D and D theming is kind of woven through everything. So the game, you, you, you choose a class when you're doing your character creation and the classes are all sort of loosely themed around D and D ones. Like there's a, I'm, the one I'm playing is kind of like a ranger and there's there's like a rogue who's sneaky and a barbarian who does bong stuff. Um, and they all have like abilities that are kind of reset on cooldowns. They're all unique to their classes. And then there's um, there's magic in it as well. There's spells that are like really effective and satisfying to use. You can just drop these big fucking frozen meteors on swarms of enemy. So between like the guns and the abilities and the spells and you get like these little companion guys and the melee option is really chunky and feels satisfying. The combat plays really well. So you go through these fights, it feels great, you blow up the big bad guy, he explodes into loads of colourful items, um, you collect, you get better weapons, you use those better weapons to kill the next big bad guy, and you rinse and repeat. The level design is kind of a mixed bag. Um, mm. 
when it's good, it's fucking great. A lot of the main quest areas are these big sprawling maps um, with loads of hidden areas and like collectibles to find and just like being in these maps with that lovely like cell shaded artwork and exploring around is really fun. Myself and Sarah have had a great time like just exploring every corner. The collectibles are these little golden D20s uh, D&D dice and kind of exploring around to find them and that's great. But then the flip side of that then is that there are like these random encounters uh, and like recurring optional dungeons that are literally just copy pastes of the same maps over and over and over again. They're kind of uninteresting the first time around and then five or six times later you're completely done with them. And padding, then, is it? It absolutely is padding, yeah. Um, the way it works out is that you have these like big self-contained levels that are fun to explore and then they're connected with a like an overworld. And on the overworld, it's literally the gaming table that your characters are sitting around playing their D&D campaign. So you're moving your little miniatures around this sort of mm, constructed okay. terrain. And there's like, at one stage, there's like a Cheeto on the board blocking the way. Um, or there's like, the the river is like a, a soda can that's toppled over and is pouring across the map and stuff. And that's kind of really, it's cute and it works and it kind of feeds into the narrative that you're playing as a guy who's playing D&D. Um, but when you're exploring the overworld, it's has this sort of Pokemon-style mechanic that when you walk through grass, random encounters will trigger. Okay. And the random encounters, like an enemy will appear on the map and its miniature will move towards you and you can melee it and kill it and stop it from happening. But if it touches you, the game stops and you get brought into a small little combat arena map and you have like a little fight and then you go back to the exploring. And that's kind of cool the first couple of times it happens. And then you realize it's just the same maps over and over again. Yeah. The same types of enemies that just level up with you. So it's, it's always not quite challenging enough to be interesting, but too challenging to just walk through it. And it's balanced at that pitch every time. And the map is uninteresting and the, it just, it wears you down. But I do want to go back to like reiterate the main quest areas are really good. Where the game kind of falls down for me, beyond what I described there, is the UI. Now, I don't know if you've seen any of the UI from this game. Um, it was kind of, it's something that got brought up in a lot of the reviews at the time. I kind of did the rounds online. It is awful. It is so oh, bad. It's just, it's just so much information uh, screen at one time. It's not in gameplay, but it's when you're in the menus. And because it's a looter game, you have to spend a lot of time in menus going through the six op- uh, six items you just picked up to try and work out which is the good one and which one you want to sell. And you have limited inventory space, so you do need to constantly keep selling stuff to make room for new stuff to go in. And reading these menus is like, it's really unintuitive. The controls in the menus are really unresponsive. The font is really, really small, particularly playing split screen. It isn't designed to scale. So when you go to split screen, it doesn't scale up so it's visible on smaller piece of screen it's just fucking tiny mm-hmm. um so it just it's it's really hard to parse um it's really buggy sometimes when you like go to examine an item the the information just won't load sometimes it'll the icons in your menu will offset by one so you try to like examine a ring and it shows you the stat block for the next item slot which might be an armor or something um, that's, just, that's just broken. It's just broken. Yeah, it's just it, it's oh, bad. No. The design is fundamentally bad to begin with, and then the implementation of it doesn't work. Mm. Um, which I can just about excuse because of how fun it is to play. But it, that is the kind of stuff that I was afraid of going into in the first place. And I was like, this is the sort of stuff that I imagine that looter games do that I won't like. And yeah, I was one hundred percent right about that. But in terms of the actual moment-to-moment gameplay of it having an absolute ball man it's really fun um the writing is surprisingly like at its worst moments it's pretty okay and sometimes it gets as as high as good it's never great but (laughs) it's i was expecting woeful based on what i'd seen of borderlands 3 and it's definitely it's in a better tier than that the performances carry it a lot the voice cast is really strong um Ashley Birch is uh, Tiny Tina, the DM. Uh, your sort of your companions are played by Wanda Sykes and Andy Samberg. Uh, huh. Will Arnett voices the bad guy and is absolutely chewing the scenery for it. He's fantastic. 
Um, and it just kind of works. Like, there's enough sort of referential D&D humor in there that I can't imagine would work for people who don't play D&D. So I don't know what that experience would be like. Who doesn't play D&D these days, Kev? Huh? I don't know. Fucking nerds, I assume. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> plays it these days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and I don't know. And I just, I really didn't expect to like it at all. And I kind of love it. Hmm. Despite the things about it that are objectively very bad. Would you play it single player? Absolutely not. Never. No. Are you insane? Really? That much? You're, no. you're, you have that much of a reaction? No, no, no. There'd be absolutely no point to that. Playing a co-op is the experience as far as I'm concerned. Mm. The game doesn't have a single player mode as far as I'm concerned. That button. Mm. I put a bit of masking tape over my flat screen so I can't see it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, uh, will I move on to my one? Yeah, perfect. What do you got for us, buddy? Okay. Remember early on I said, like, you know, I completely understand kind of, you know. The concept? No, no, sorry. <laughs> I deserve that, but no, no, I'm not talking about that. You know, um, certain aesthetics that, you know, if someone came up to you and was just like, I don't want to play anime-looking games, I'd actually be like, yeah, I get it, you know? That comes, oh, with, sure, a lot yeah. of, that comes with a lot of tropes, you know, and I can understand people not meeting that halfway. I just have one for me as well that I often kind of, like, all through the years, there's a certain aesthetic that I'm just like, that's oh, just not for me. I don't want the game could be really good, really well reviewed, but I don't want to play a game about this. Is and it, I have played games like this. Is it Football Manager? Uh, it's not Football Manager. Actually, I was up in, um, in in Dublin drinking with friends, and uh, like there, I was actually Kevin. Can you believe it? I was watching the World Cup final. Oh wow! But, <laughs> I know it's turned over a new leaf, man. It was actually a really good match. But that's not what type of podcast this is. <laughs> uh, yeah, the main thing I got was like, Liam, you promised like a year and a half ago that you'd play Football Manager. I was like, why do you remember this? Of all the other, this podcast has been around for a year and a half now or whatever since then. And people are like, no, you said you play Football Manager anyway. Just gr- grumbling about that. Maybe I will someday. You said you'd play it. I didn't. I didn't play it in the end, did I? <laughs> There's still time. <sighs> I know. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm a liar and a fraud. But uh, Kev, I don't really have much interest in American military games. Mm. Okay, it's just not my thing, and I don't think the games. I think I think a lot of the big ones, the big franchises, are probably really good. I've had I've had fun with Call of Duty over the years, and not over not not, not much fun, but a little bit, but a little bit of fun. Remember back in the day before this, uh, this these digital storefronts and all that. Remember, you used to go into shops to buy games. Remember all that? Oh yeah, yeah. I also remember, like especially in the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty, PS Three kind of era, they'd just be like all over the shelves, like you know. These different military games, and my eyes would glaze past them. I'd be like, "Oh, what's this?" Uh, Blinks the time sweeper. I don't know. I tried to come up with a game, and that was the one that jumped into my head. <laughs> so there was a game that I ignored uh, for ages, like literally, just like, "Oh, there it is. That's, that that exists." Until I started hearing rumblings, and it might be good. And a few years after it came out, I ended up purchasing it. So I guess the way I'm kind of slipping into this um, this topic is, this game was literally invisible to me, and then I played it. And it's one of the most fascinating games I've ever played. Can you guess what it is, I've curiosity? I would guess Spec Ops The Line. It's Spec Ops The Line. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. 100%. 100%. I'm, I'm, yeah. Like, look, I, 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 this is kind of a sensitive subject, so I don't want to like be, be an asshole, come across an asshole like that. I think American military shooters is weird to me. Yeah. <laughs> I try to be sensitive. It's weird, and I have a I have American Marine uh, brother in law. No, I don't, I'm not married, but, but I do. Yeah, but I do. I do. Like, like I, do, I doubt he listens to this. So I, I just I just find the very concept of it. Even if you're going back and you're playing like um, you know, a World War Two game or something, that I have a bit more truck with that. You know, World War Two is kind of you know, you know, it was us versus you know the fucking the Axis and stuff of that simulations of I don't know modern warfare, and I'm not using modern warfare as a as a as a direct reference to anything, yeah. honestly, like I am not poo-pooing anyone having fun with this, especially in like online multiplayer and just blowing off steam. But like, I don't know, it's a little bit. Um, um, what be the what be the what would be a nice way to say this? Like, I don't know, like maybe a little, propaganda. But I mean, it is effectively propaganda. A lot of these games yeah. do get sponsored by wings of the U.S. military and are used as effective recruiting tools. To encourage exactly, usually yeah. young men to um, enlist, um, 
which I mean, make of that what you want. But it is, yeah, maybe icky is the word. Icky might be the word. And, you know, if you watch war movies and stuff like that, you know, yeah, maybe you watch Saving Private Ryan or some of that. And it's like, um, yeah, it's very um, pro. It's very nationalist, American nationalism. But, you know, like I said, World War Two, you kind of you kind of earn that. You watch any like Vietnam movie on the other, the other side of the coin and they're almost always anti-war. Almost always, you know, because that was uh, the whole different kettle of fish in terms of why that was. So I just think this genre continues to be one of like the most dominant ones in the gaming industry. And if it's going to be, then like, let's like, let's play around with this thing. And the reason I love Spec Ops The Line is that it's a blood-boilingly anti-war third-person shooter. It is just this... In the, it came out in like 2010, so it came out right in the middle of like uh, Call of Duty's height, you know? And I just think it was so fascinating to come out and make this this game, this this game that, you know, had, I, you know what, I can't even speak for like something like Call of Duty's like um, narrative quality. Can you? Um, I would have played a couple of the single players. I was I was a big COD guy for a while there, about, yeah. about a decade or so ago, um, back when I worked in a nightclub and smoked way too much weed. Um, <laughs> I forgot about your sordid past. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I think the single players, yeah, particularly like the the first couple of Black Ops games, I really I really enjoyed the the narrative for them. The but beyond that, not really. No, it's kind of more just an excuse to showcase the shooty shooty bang bangs, you know. I yeah, I would put spec up the line up there with something like the first Bioshock, something like Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty. Yeah. In terms of uh, a narrative that tr- that very much plays with the idea of uh, you, the player, kind of, you know, are forced to do things, you know? And this doesn't have to come up with, like, a really clever, like, would you kindly, you know, yeah. <laughs> from Bioshock or what, what the, the 20 pages of explanation that Sons of Liberty has. And uh, I, I think being being a soldier, again, I'm just, I, I'm just, I don't know, what, what the hell do I know, but... There was an idea that that's that's very interesting to convey in a video game because you in a soldier you are if you're a soldier you're following orders and you are you know forced to act under like a litany of agendas that are far above you and it kind of in an interesting way mirrors the act of you know playing a video game where like if this is a linear third person shooter in order to move to the next part of the game you've got to finish the part you're on you know you don't have choice in that regard. And the game very, very interestingly chooses that to convey the horrors of war, of guilt, of shell shock. It's basically, it's actually loosely based on Heart of Darkness, yeah. the novel, which was obviously Apocalypse Now was loosely based on that as well. So this is very interesting to see different mediums kind of tackle that, you know? And it's it's um it wasn't set in any real... War as a campaign, it was actually kind of mildly sci-fi setting, even though it had uh, no science fiction kind of um, technology under that. It was very, uh, yeah, it was very realistic. But it was set in Dubai that had been bombarded by sandstorms, and you were you're kind of sent in to see what's your three-man team. You're playing as your main guy, and you're sent in to see what the story is in there. It's become a no man's land in there, and uh, a, a black ops team went missing in there. And there's rumors that maybe the, the the leader of that team has kind of become a kind of de facto leader within this kind of yeah. military no man's land. Colonel Kurtz or whatever. Colonel Kurtz, exactly, man, exactly. And it's basically essentially like a pl- a descent, a descent into horror from there. And I'm not talking about like spookies, Kev, just absolute kind of like um, just miserableness. And like, uh, I don't think, I, I compared this game, when, when, when we were the age ago when we were talking about The Last of Us Part 2, yeah. I compared it to Spec Ops Line because I don't think I've... Pl- until I played Last of Us Part Two, I hadn't played a game that was so, you know, at its core miserable, which is absolutely a kind of a, 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 not a criticism, but it's a, it's an angle I understand if someone if there's someone not not to enjoy a game, you know, like a lot of people didn't want to play Last of Us Part Two during the pandemic because you know <laughs> there's no there's no there's no joy in that game. But uh, yeah. I, I I I I don't see that as criticism. Criticism personally, I like I, I like art and pop culture sometimes to you know be startling to be disturbing. And yes. the kind of central thing of this game, like I said, is this kind of your main soldiers plunge into shell shock as conveyed by the acts, the atrocities that you, the player, have to commit. And I should sidestep for a second and say that Spec Ops is kind of an average shooter. Yeah, It's like fine. 
it's it came out like let's just say the two best comparable ones would be uncharted and gears of war it's not as revolutionary as gears of war not as like well designed well controlled it, it doesn't have the the breezy easy pace of uncharted to just be kind of you know shuffled from set piece to set piece or anything like that from quiet moments to a big action blockbuster you know great pacing it's kind of an awkward game a lot of yeah you're in a room and they're going to funnel enemies in to the room until they're all dead that kind of thing you know not exactly an inspiring um game mechanically but it's all the, it's all the other things and the, the kind of the big kind of thing to talk about is that halfway through the game i think it's literally halfway through the game uh i don't know trigger warning <laughs> I, I don't know honestly but you you have to use white phosphorus on enemies and it turns out you're and you're and, and it's almost like a mini game kev you're looking at a radar screen yeah and you're just taking out the dots with bigger dots you know you're not seeing you're not it, 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 it's a bit more, it, it, it's less simplistic than that, but, you know, not very, you're kind of looking at infrared kind of screen. But it turns out that, you know, there was intel um, fucked up and you killed civilians. 47 civilians. And then there's a horrifying, horrifying scene when you go down and check out the damage, you know. And you, <laughs> there are choices in this game. There's like four different endings. But that, you cannot miss that part of the game. The game forces you to do that. It forces you to be the one who targets those little circles on a screen and shoots white phosphorus at them. And then, like, it was a complete fuck up. And then that's the kind of the beginning of the main character's descent. And it's, I think it's mildly interesting to note that he's voiced by Nolan North. Oh. And I think it's kind of great to kind of, at that time, you know, right in the middle of the Uncharted games, to kind of have every man <laughs> who's probably more of a murderer <laughs> nathan nathan drake but kind of have the voice actor for nathan drake play this much grittier much more realistic depiction of i don't know war for lack of a better word i think that's there's not nothing really much to say much else to say about the game i don't want to quite go on and spoil the second half of the game and yeah. there's, there's moments in it the, the white phosphorus is the one that like that game was remembered for but there's other harrowing scenes like the game doesn't let on and it has a very interesting ending if you've seen apocalypse now you haven't spoiled spec ops for yourself i'll just say that, that kind of thing you know yeah that's really but, interesting i've actually held off on playing it because i found out about the white phosphorus thing quite early on it's tough and it's tough but not even that just that it's tough but i think whoever had told me about it maybe didn't make it clear that it happens so early in the game. I thought that was kind of the big payoff at the end. So I thought knowing that going in, it won't be as as effective, so I haven't bothered. But knowing that there's a full Heart of Darkness-esque back half to it, I yeah. would definitely be interested in giving it a spin. I might be a little bit off the mark with, by saying it happens halfway through the game, but no, it's definitely not near the end. Interesting. And And it's harsh and it's scary and it's miserable for a reason and i'm like i'm not saying that all are like depictions of war and and you know and soldiers like needs to be this kind of you know condemnation of war I, although i'm not almost not far off saying that to be honest yeah. but i do think i do think uh, i i believe in the in the medium of video games i believe that it can be used in very fascinating ways and i think spec ops is an incredibly important game incredibly fascinating and the fact that it's troubling and uncomfortable is exactly what it needs to be and exactly what it should be. And I'm glad at least that a tiny drop kind of exists in, in 2010 when everyone was, you know, um, shooting civilians in airports in the Call of Duty 2 and stuff like that in, in very yeah. kind of hollow ways, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it stands as kind of a, an antidote to all that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it, it was brought back up into the the sort of the the zeitgeist by as you said last of us 2 and the sort of the, the conversation now obviously spoken about last of us 2 on this podcast quite a bit already there's no need to, to relitigate it the idea <laughs> that you know everyone who disliked the game is uh, a transphobe or a homophobe <laughs> or a misogynist or because yeah. i mean most of them are i do want to make that clear i do I, <laughs> I do fundamentally believe that most of the people who are opposed to the last of us 2 are bigots um but not I didn't all, realize. Not the, I didn't realize. The t I didn't realize the tail end of this episode would be just be the fucking hot take <laughs> brigade. Yeah, the hot take we're, corner. We're, we're in now. Yeah, but um, 
the the sort of the criticism of The Last of Us Two for just being too sad is something that I never quite gelled with. I would say no. video games, art in general, but video games I would include in that, have no obligation to be fun. Now, as as the, the consumer slash buyer slash art appreciator or whatever, you've no obligation to engage with it if that doesn't work for you. Absolutely jog on. There's plenty of other stuff there. And and, and it can be dismissed. I don't I do not mind people dismissing things on that because of that, you know? Yeah. But as a, as a dismissing and deciding not to play a thing and criticizing things is, is two different things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there was a lot of criticism leveled at The Last of Us 2 and sort of retroactively at the end of The Last of Us by people who felt that they should have been able to sort of finish the first Last of Us game without killing the Doctor. Like if they wanted to have yeah, like yeah. a pacifist playthrough of The Last of Us. And that just feels like absolute nonsense to me. Mm. people who wanted to be able to to kill Abby at the end of The Last of Us Part 2 it's like this this isn't a Bethesda game you haven't created a character you're not cutting your own sways through this world you're playing the tightly curated story that has been put in front of you now if you don't like that you know you're fully within your rights to you know disengage from that whatever but criticising it for not being able to make choices just strikes me as baffling. It's like like watching a, a Scorsese movie and not being able to tell the nice taxi driver man to stop taking the child to the porn, you know? I was literally on the edge of my seat there going, which Scorsese movie is he going for? And he went for taxi driver. What did you say? Not taking... <laughs> not taking the child in to see porn. <laughs> that would be like that. I would love to see a Telltale Games-esque taxi driver. <laughs> Adaptation. Yeah, I would. Travis Pickle will remember this. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I would fully be on board with that. So this is this is the episode that's essentially going to come out like a couple of days after Christmas. Um, so I didn't really, I didn't, re- <laughs> uh, I didn't happy really Christmas, mean happy it. New Year, everyone. I guess <laughs> I didn't really mean it to be a downer, but you know when. Uh, Jonathan came up with the idea of doing the game that you know we bounced off that we didn't think of, and then when we lost Jonathan, you came up with the idea of we'll do the opposite as well. Mm-hmm. And this was the one that came up because I did dismiss it. I dismissed Spec Ops. I dismissed it as a, like I looked at it like it has the most generic cover ever. It's like another one to orange and blue covers with a soldier standing there. And yeah, and I've wanted to talk about the game in this podcast for a long time, and I completely hundred percent agree with all the things you said there about you know uh, the nature of you know the the darkness of these things isn't necessarily criticism and spec ops is a hard game to play uh i think it's kind of is it on steam i think it's readily available now yeah that was actually what i was going to ask you is is that i would genuinely love to play it and i have no idea how or if i can i think it's on steam man interesting we'll look into it yeah i just do think just to kind of hold it up on a pedestal a little bit you know not one of the best games ever made by a stretch but in terms of a bit of interactive narrative one of the most troubling and important games ever made i would say fantastic a lot on its mind mm. that's what that's what it has kept a lot on its mind and uh, i think before we go maybe because that was a bit dark how about a bit of christmas banter okay do you have the shopping done uh yeah yeah for the most part i kind of i left it late but not too late so now i'm just waiting to see if like dpd will get their finger out of their hole and deliver a few bits to me you know Okay, do you, want, do you want to ask me something Christmassy? Um, yeah. Uh, would you rather have a hand made of ham or mm-hmm. an armpit that dispenses shaving foam? Do, does it have to dispense shaving foam? Yeah, or can I constantly. control it? I'll have the ham hand. Ham hand, interesting, all right. And would you yeah. have turkey with that? <laughs> yeah. All right, good. Because it's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Um, I think Kev, I think we pulled it off. I know you were confident the whole time, but I was unconfident. <laughs> I didn't have any confidence. I was like, "What are we talking about?" Buddy, I'm still um, like thirty percent sure that this episode will never see the light of day. So it will, absolutely will. I've done it now. No content will be lost. That's my <laughs> motto. Um, thank you so much for listening to Hey Look Listen. Um, spoiler: Our next episode will be about games of 2022. We rarely have planned ahead uh, these days, but that's what the next episode is going to be about. So please join us for that. Um, in January sometime. 
yeah keep an eye hey. on the socials if, if you're um if you're a fan of the podcast do make sure to follow us on instagram or twitter or uh, around in real life um, yeah we usually don't do this but like if you whatever your, your podcasting app of choice is do throw us a like or subscribe or all of that usual nonsense um because it does help out to, to get, get more eyes on it. If you have a friend who likes video games and maybe has nothing better to do with their time, maybe throw an episode in front of them. Maybe not this one. This one didn't feel great. But um. no, it, I thought, no, it did. I'm standing, standing by it. Actually, but like, can I end on can I end on a, a, a wee, a wee little anecdote? Go for it. If you're if you're if you're look, looking for our podcast, everyone out there might have a might have a new logo mm. because someone changed it, and that someone wasn't me. <laughs> I was out, I, I was out for a few Christmas drinks, you know, meeting up with some of some peeps before Christmas, and I came home absolutely shit faced. Kev, after, now back in the day, if I came home absolutely shit faced, I'd watch like you know Louis through documentaries. No, be, Just, be like, honest, really, you'd watch Grave of the Fireflies. Grave of the Fireflies, yeah, I used to get like really dark. So I'm kind of happy that nowadays, apparently, what I do when I'm I'm kept borderline blackout, what I do is redesign the hey look listen logo <laughs> while i'm absolutely plastered and i don't even like it that much but <laughs> i think it looks great but thank you but i can't change it now because it feels like someone else did it i feel like it would be a disservice to drunk me who put a lot of effort into that for some reason <laughs> so on that note merry christmas and a happy new year from me liam sheehan and from me kevin O'Carroll. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks very much, guys. Bye-bye now.